This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Open up in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. This is where we find the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And as I, I said previously, I'll say it again, this is quite the teaching, and it comes from quite the teacher. There is no teacher like our Lord, and make no mistake about that. So we get a chance from Matthew's point of view to go over his teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, um, there are terms that we have adopted in the church, and these terms are neither good nor bad, they're just terms that we've adopted. And so we identify this passage of scripture, uh, starting in Matthew chapter 5, as the Sermon on the Mount, because he, he taught from the Mount. And as we are in churches, somebody teaches, it's got to be a sermon. So we call it the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? And even as you see, we get into the Beatitudes, something else is called on to the Beatitudes. So you won't find the Sermon on the Mount necessarily found as that terminology in the scripture, but that's what that uh, refers to. And, and I tried to relate to you uh, last week that when you see it, uh, the book of Matthew, uh, especially how it starts out, uh, from my point of view, it is really exceptionally written. It is like a work, and I hate to say it this work way because it's not entertainment and it's not fiction. This is the truth, but it's a work of art in my sight. And I told you the thing that caught my attention, and, and to me, this is the thing that opens up the entire Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapter 5, verse number 2. In my mind, this is the key scripture. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. And as insignificant as a scripture that might be, you know, if you have a Bible where wherever Jesus speaks is written in red, there's no red in that verse, but I've grown to appreciate this verse. To me, the imagery is remarkable. Especially the, just the way it states it. You don't find these kind of statements throughout the Bible. And he opened his mouth. Like, why? why, why? You see the imagery coming in now? And he opened his mouth and taught them saying. And so I said from this, there are three key questions. That when we look into them, I believe it gives us further insight into the Sermon on the Mount. And those three questions are, who is he? See, he opened his mouth. And taught them saying. And then who is them? He taught them. Saying. And then what did he teach? So on last Wednesday. We got a chance to, chance to look at who is he. And I wanted to make sure that you understand. This is Matthew's setup. Matthew set this up from. Matthew chapter 1 verse number 1. The book. Of the generation. Of Jesus Christ. The son of David, the son of Abraham. And, and people might say, well, there are a lot of sons of Abrahams, yeah? And many sons of Abrahams are sons of David. Yeah, but Matthew's doing a setup. See, but they're not he. Did you catch that? Who is he? Because he's not everybody. He is the son of David and the son of Abraham. And so we saw that the son of Abraham refers to the promised seed of Abraham. We saw that the son of David pertains to the promised son, the promised seed of David. And so we came to this conclusion. He's the king. The throne is his. I like that terminology. The throne is his. Because nowadays people fight over things such as kingship. Royalty. Who enters into this high position? No, he's it. The throne belongs to him. It is rightfully his. And, and so, as much as people might say, well, well, oh yeah, okay, he's the son of David, son of Abraham, you can follow that line. But then Matthew points out to us, he was born of Mary and not of Joseph. So he's the promised seed of David, he's the promised seed of Abraham, and he's the seed of the woman. 
All the promises are found in Him. And then we said, who is them? Right, I'm using them in quotes, so who is is proper for all you English majors. But who is them? Right, because He, now we found out He is not everybody. He's the King. The throne is His. That's who He is. Now who is them? And I told you, again, Matthew follows a flow. And Matthew points out there is great number of people that are following him. Matthew points out so much that his, his, his uh, uh, fame goes so far north, so far south. It goes over to the, uh, the east. And remember, the west, there's the Mediterranean Sea. So they point out any of the western uh, principalities. Because as far as it could go, his fame was growing. And at this time, John is decreasing. John the Baptist is decreasing. And John himself said it. There's one who's coming. He's mightier than me. Amen. You need to check it out. Because the Gospels do talk about the fame of John. But then Matthew talks about the fame of Jesus and shows how broad it was compared to the fame of John. Why? Because Matthew's trying to show us who he is. And so I told you, who is them? These are those who are following him. These, this would include a great multitude of people, a very diverse group of people. But when we look, we found out that many of them were stricken. Many of them had ailments. Uh, many of them had problems. No doubt some were sick and had been healed. No doubt some are presently sick now, whatever the case might be. When you think about this, amen. If there was anybody who had a chance to say, I've had enough. If there's anybody who had a chance to say, you know, life's been too hard, I give up. If there's been anybody, you know, we made mention in passing of the woman with the issue of blood. You know, after 12 years, Spending all you have, suffering at the hand of many physicians, not getting any better, only getting worse. You know, it may not take 12 years for people to say, just give up. And then to say, okay, I'm going to give up. But she kept going. And in this crowd, there are many people who just kept going. Because do you ever consider yourself having a bad day? I've had them. This day may go into that category. But can you imagine stringing together a lifetime? Bad days. See, you're not feeling this, are you? You're not getting this. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm saying it that way because when he enters in, these people have been under the law. These people, most of them, are from the nation of Israel. They know the promises. They've heard them, but now they're being eyewitnesses to relief that they had not known before. Can you feel the hope, feel that crowd, when the king does what the king can do? So you have all these people there. People that the world will not count as anything great. I told you, they're just like us. And I know how we get in the church. I don't know, sometimes we get in the church and we think more of ourselves than we should. And we start dressing the part as though we're something more than we are. We start putting on titles as though we're something more than we are. But you know, it's all right to be a common man. It's all right to be a common woman. <laughs> you know, so you don't have to dress up on his account. He knows you. He knows the pains. He knows the sorrows. He knows the hurts. And he can do something about it. So no doubt, there's going to be a great multitude following him. So, so them are those who are following him. They're going to be mainly followers of the ministry of Jesus. Okay? They're going to be some hangers-on. They're going to be some people just to see if they can get something. But mainly these are going to be followers of his ministry. Now, I pointed out to you in Chapter 5, verse number 1, it says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. 
And verse 2 says, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. Now, some people say, You mean all those multitudes were disciples? No, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, what I'm saying is that he taught the multitude. Amen. Because my first question would be, is this the twelve? Well, Matthew has not, again, Matthew has a flow. He's not introduced to us the twelve, so no, they're not the apostles. So these are disciples. And then my question to you is, what then is a disciple? And we saw it. John 8. Actually, turn there. Keep your ribbon there. Turn to John chapter 8. Verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I like this scripture. Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, Continue in my word, then are you my disciples. That's what he said to them. Who did he say it to? The Jews that believed on him. But he knew who was in the crowd. And immediately, verse 33, they answered him, We be Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Now, these aren't believers who are answering up. But Jesus knew they were in the midst of those he was talking to. And I believe he didn't have a problem. Even when they challenged him, he had an answer for them. Verse 39, they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto him, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that has told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. You know what you do? You do the deeds of your father. I'm, I'm sorry, but you know, Jesus said this to the Jews that believed on him, but he knew who was in the crowd and he wanted them to hear. And then, uh, turn back to Matthew. Look at this in Matthew. What is this? Is this chapter 12? Matthew chapter 12. Verse 46. While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who's my mother? And who are my brother? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brother. For whosoever shall do the will of my father, which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. That's his concern. His concern aren't just a, a, a select few. His concern are those who are interested in the will of the father. So when he opened his mouth, we know who he is. According to Matthew, he establishes that he is the one on the throne. And now we understand who them are. Them is a multitude. Them are a great number of people. And furthermore, turn back to Matthew. And I showed you this before. Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings. It's talking about the Sermon on the Mount as we know it. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. The people, not just disciples, the people, they all heard. And I, if you looked it up, that word people, translating to people means throng. We're not talking a few, we're talking a large number. Verse 29, I like verse 29. Now knowing who he is, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And you know why he taught them as one having authority? Because he does have authority. And Matthew wants us to see that. The scribes don't have his authority. No one does. So now we've seen who he is. We've seen who them is. Now the question is, what does he teach? 
And someone would sit there and say, well, once we start reading, we'll find out what he teaches, or what he taught, or what he teaches. Well, uh, hang on. There might just be something that I can add to that for your sake. And I apologize if you know this already for wasting your time, but trust me, uh, there's always room for more. You'd be surprised once you stop and listen to God that he actually has some more new things for you. You read the same scripture and find out, how did I miss that? Well, because again, I, I think I mentioned this last time, it's precept upon precept. It's line upon line. Matthew chapter 3. Again, there's a flow in the book of Matthew. <laughs> and I believe Matthew 5 and 2 introduces us to that flow. He introduces to us who he is. He introduces to us who them represents. And then he lets us know what he taught before we even get to Matthew chapter 5. Look at this in Matthew chapter 3. Starting at verse number 1. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let me tell you what Jesus taught. He taught the kingdom of heaven. Keep that. He taught the kingdom of heaven. Now remember, John is the forerunner. He is the one preparing the way for the Lord. And so he is introducing Jesus to these people. He's setting the stage for the Lord. And then when you look at chapter 4 of Matthew... Let's start at verse number 12. I just, I won't verse 17, but let's start at verse number 12. Now, when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. So the forerunner is now in prison. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast and the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness, saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. From that time, verse 17, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, John goes into prison. Jesus says, It's my time. And what does he preach? He preaches the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, again, there's just something about the book of Matthew and the way it's written. And nothing against any of the other gospels. It's just that from where I sit right now and the things that I've learned, I just see a flow in Matthew. Uh, not necessarily the same flow in the other gospels. And not that there's not a flow there. This is just where I am right now. Okay. But Matthew is one who uniquely uses the term kingdom of heaven. Why? I don't know. But again, you won't find that term in the other Gospels. What you will find in the other Gospels, and actually in some certain places in Matthew, is you'll find the kingdom of God. But Matthew uses the terminology, the kingdom of heaven. Now, again, I don't know all things, but from what I can see is they really are the same thing. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. You'll find passages in the book of Matthew where the kingdom of heaven is used, and you'll find a corresponding uh, uh, scripture in another one of the Gospels, which refers to the same thing, but it will say kingdom of God. Now, why Matthew uses the kingdom of heaven? Again, I don't know why, but we'll stick with that terminology. Because we're following with the book of Matthew. And so, what does Jesus teach? The king teaches the kingdom of heaven. Now, 
I'm going to teach it this way. I'm going to change up my notes just a little bit because I was struggling with how best to present this uh, because we could dip our toe in the, in the Beatitudes, and, but I think it's probably best to do it this way. So, so I want to just spend a little time. All I want to do today is just introduce to you the kingdom of heaven in a way that you'll see how it correlates with the, with the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? Now, when we combine the message of the Sermon on the Mount and the knowledge we have of the result of the gospel, what we'll find is that there are two aspects of the kingdom of heaven as it relates to time. There are two aspects of the kingdom of heaven as it relates to time. Okay? Two aspects as it relates to time. Now, we know that if it's the kingdom of heaven, it's obviously not the kingdom of this earth. <laughs> but a kingdom is marked by dominion. That's why it's a kingdom. Right? And a kingdom has boundaries. Can I say it that way? Right? Because one king can't lay claim to another kingdom. They're referring to their own kingdom. So, a kingdom is marked by dominion, and we understand that this dominion is a dominion of God. Okay? We understand that about the kingdom of heaven. But I want to introduce to you these two conditions of the kingdom. I said the two aspects as it relates to time. These are, we'll call them two conditions of the kingdom as it relates to time. Condition one of the kingdom of heaven, we'll call it this current age. It is this current age. I'll wait to tell you about the time frame. But to help understand this current age, note that the result of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the gospel of our Lord, note that it is meant to establish the reign of God in the hearts of men. Stay with me. I know this is not hooping, hollering. I know this is not tickle of flesh. But he opened his mouth and taught them. And he taught them the kingdom of heaven. And there are two conditions of the kingdom of heaven as it pertains to or as, as it relates to time, condition number one is this current age. And I want you to just mark. There are things we understand. That the gospel is meant to appeal to men so that men can see that they need a savior and turn their hearts over so that God may reign in their hearts. So that's what I mean when I say that the result of the gospel is the establishing of the reign of God in the hearts of men. So this current age is marked by men, members of mankind. I've got to say it that way. I mean, it's male and female. It is marked by men freely submitting themselves to God's rule. That's this current age. We are freely submitting ourselves to God's rule. So this current age, at least for the New Testament believer, is us submitting to the Lordship of Christ. So as it relates to you, the gospel, if it took hold, should be marked by you submitting, freely submitting, to the Lordship of Christ. Amen. Amen. He can't just be Savior. He's just not a get out of sin jail free card. He's got to be Lord. Okay. But we're talking about the kingdom of heaven. 
So it's marked by men, members of mankind, freely submitting themselves to God's rule. For us, the New Testament saint, that's us submitting to the Lordship of Christ. This is where man turns his heart over to the living God. Okay? We're talking about two conditions of the kingdom of heaven as it relates to time. There's a current age. And in this current age, man turns his heart over to the living God. Turn to the book of Genesis. Chapter 6. Now, whether it is submitting to the Lordship of Christ, well, what happened before Christ came? Well, men still believed God in their heart. So whether it's submitting to the Lordship of Christ or whether it's believing God before Christ ever came, the result of man turning his heart over to God is God's grace. Genesis chapter 6. Now that's going to be important. Please don't, don't miss that. That's going to be important as we enter into the Beatitudes. That when a man turns his heart over to God, when a man truly believes God, the result is God's grace. Genesis chapter 6, verse number 5. We'll read through verse 8. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was not on God, but was only evil continually. So God seeing this, he saw the wickedness of man. He saw that it was great in the earth. He saw that the imagination of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Isn't that lovely? Isn't that amazing? Amen. God's not taking you down because everybody else around you is going down. But if you believe God in your heart, if you turn it over to God in your heart, if you let Him reign in your heart, God will give you grace. And I, I, here's the great thing about God's grace. God knows what's coming. And those who find His grace get an inside addition. <laughs> they get an exclusive from God. Amen. Don't you understand? Joseph and Mary, what believers they must have been. See, because in order to have the inside edition, they must have God's grace. So God just didn't go to any old lady, any young lady, any old man that she's betrothed to. <laughs> they had to be believers. Because when Herod was going to kill the child, Grace said, I give, I give you an inside edition. You need to move. <laughs> That's the grace of God. Hallelujah. Glory to your name. Again, it's going to be important in the Beatitudes, but the grace of God doesn't come with money. Doesn't come with fame. Doesn't come with fortune. Amen. Should I say this? I'll say to move on. Okay, this is Wednesday night. Alright. Grace in the Old Testament is a little bit dif different than grace in the New Testament. And you want to know why? Because there's an abiding grace here in the New Testament. And that comes from the Holy Spirit. And so grace, when Noah found it, it is the favor of God. 
Because God's a little bit upset. But a man who believes him, God's like, I'm not mad at you. But we're talking about two conditions of the kingdom of heaven as it relates to time. And this current age is when man turns his heart over to the living God and whether it's submitting to the lordship of Christ like we do as members of the church or before Christ came, before there was a church, men believe God, the result is God's grace. Look at this in Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. Trust me, you'd rather have grace than the material things. Exodus chapter 33, because God's grace lets you sleep at night. Hallelujah to your name. You know, there are things in my mind, especially nowadays when we see the church too involved with politics. Well, I'm here to tell you, Jesus talked politics. He talked the kingdom of heaven. Amen. He sure did. He had his political talk, but he wasn't talking about the politics we talk about. His interest was in the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven. Exodus 33. Let's start at verse number, well, for the sake of time, let's just jump to verse 17. This is after Moses was saying, God, uh, show me what's going to happen. Show me how we're going to go over. Are you going to go with us? If I found grace in your sight, who's going to go? Verse 17, and the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. Do you hear that? Because Moses believed God. And the result of believing God in your heart is God's grace. Moses put out a request and God said, because you found grace. I give you your request. You're missing it. You're missing us. See, because some of us are having a request of God. And God's not answering. And we assume that what we're asking is all right. But let me tell you, when a man believes God in his heart, he wouldn't necessarily be asking for the wrong things. But when a man finds grace, God is like, I'm with that. Now, those who don't believe God in the heart, they will ask for things. Trust me. People do pray they don't necessarily believe God. But believe Him in your heart. Again, as I speak to you today, to believe God is to submit to the Lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's got to be... You know, it's hard to say He's Lord when, when He sends someone to you with the Word and you have other things to do than be under His Word. It's hard to say... That I'm submitting to his lordship then. It's hard to say when the teaching comes forward that you have to make these changes, but you don't make the changes. It's hard to say you're submitted to his lordship then. All I'm saying is, are you a member of this current age of the kingdom of heaven? So Moses found grace in God's sight. And I'll say this about Moses as well. You know, Hebrews says that he was faithful in his house. You know, faithful is the highest praise you can put on a servant to the king. <laughs> it's the highest praise you can put on him when the master says you're faithful. That's high praise. Amen. Seek for the high praise. Seek that he will call you faithful. I believe the greatest eulogy that could ever be made over a man's or a woman's life 
is that they were faithful. And don't worry. You might sit there and say, but I'm not. You know what? This is why he taught the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Where you are now does not have to be where you end up. Glory to your name. I mean, he brought with him change. Again, I I don't know if you catch this or not, but if you're sitting there and you're suffering for all this time, and here comes relief. Here comes the light. You find strength that you didn't know you had. You're saying, I'm glad I waited. I'm glad I believed him in my heart. I'm glad I counted his grace greater than anything in the natural. So I'll say this about the crowd. Those who had been suffering for years and were still going. No doubt many of them were faithful. Someone calls us out of our name and we're out of sorts. People living with infirmities years upon years and they did not drop their faith. That's faithful. keep moving forward so here's condition one that is the current age of the kingdom of heaven it is by faith God reigns in the heart of man by faith God reigns in the heart of man and I want to add this to make sure that you capture it by faith God reigns in the heart of man in the midst of a sinful world. That's his current age. Man reigns in the heart of... God reigns, I'm sorry. By faith, God reigns in the heart of man in the midst of a sinful world. It is a condition of the heart. Okay? You understand that? I know I'm taking my time with this, but it's for a purpose. So this current age, I told you that there are two aspects, two conditions of the kingdom of heaven as it relates to time. Condition number one is by faith God reigns in the heart of man in the midst of a sinful world. It is a condition of the heart. Oh, it, uh, <laughs> Amen. It's a condition of the heart. Let me keep moving forward. I don't want to get sidetracked. Now, if Noah found grace, then what time period marks this current age? Well, it goes from the fall of man until the return of our Lord. That's the current age of the kingdom of heaven. (laughs) How do you say it? How do I say it? You are citizens of the kingdom. His kingdom is real. You are that kingdom. I'll get to it. Let me keep moving forward. Oh, I want to say some things. So the kingdom of heaven must first be in your heart. The kingdom of heaven can be first found with the reign of God in the hearts of man. Look at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 16. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God And they shall be my people. They shall be my subjects. Do you see that? I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. The reign of God must first be in your heart. Look at this in Jeremiah chapter 7. 
Old Testament and New Testament. Jeremiah chapter 7. Verse 23. But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and ye shall be my people. And walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. Do you hear God saying, I want to reign within you? But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice. And I will be your God, and you shall be my people. See, the kingdom has boundaries. You can't claim to be a citizen and be outside of his command. You can't live outside of his command and be a member of the kingdom. What did Jesus say to those Jews that said, Abraham is our father? He said, well, well, well no, 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 no. Abraham would have rejoiced to see this, but you do the works of your father. In other words, you're a member of another kingdom. In Jeremiah, turn to chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. And I know this is not tickle the flesh kind of teaching, but I'm telling you, I do believe this so much in my heart. We need to know what we believe. We really do. This is a time where so many voices are out there, so many things are being said. So many people trying to catch your ear, and some with a subtlety. But we need to know what we believe. Jeremiah chapter 31. Verse 33. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts. And write it in their hearts. And will be their God. And they shall be my people. You hear that refrain over and over again? Now I'll be your God. You'll be my people. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. That is referring to the current age. Of the kingdom of heaven. Where by faith. God reigns in the heart of man. That's what he desires. This condition of the heart, as we've said, is attained by faith. And that faith sets a mark for us. Oh, please stay with me, because I'm going somewhere here. This, this is so important for us. It sets a mark for us. Because He reigns in my heart today. It sets a mark before me. Turn to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. Turn to the Genesis chapter 50. Starting at verse 22. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt... He and his father's house. And Joseph lived a hundred and ten years. And Joseph sought Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die. Now, now this is an old man, but he's lived a faithful life. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die. And God will surely visit you. And bring you out of this land unto the land which he sware to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you should carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died, being a hundred and ten years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Check this out. Joseph lived in Egypt, but kept his expectation, not in Egypt, but towards God's promise. <laughs> oh, you're not getting this, are you? Oh, my goodness. While people are falling apart about 
nation against nation. What's going on in my nation? What's going on with racial injustice? What's people doing right? What are people doing wrong? Capitalism. Live with an expectation. See, because I'm being faithful now, not because of what I'm getting now, but Joseph understood even after I'm gone, God is still going to fulfill his word. And I want you to know, people, this is Joseph, I live my life looking forward. When you live your life looking forward, you don't have time to complain. You don't have time to cry and say, woe is me. You stop that song, nobody knows the troubles I sing. You stop that because I have an expectation. Are you starting to see who them is? Are you starting to see that? These people live all this time and they weren't getting treated that well. In all honesty, they probably thought that, in some people's mind, they probably thought that God had looked over them, not caring about them, that they had gotten the short end of the stick. But somebody's living with an expectation. We have a lot we can learn. Pandemic, <laughs> epidemic, cold, flu, whatever. But there's an expectation. The expectation is not that this body won't die. The expectation is God's promises will come to pass. So this condition of the heart, we're still talking about condition one of the kingdom of heaven. This current age where God reigns in the heart of man who lives in a sinful world. This condition of the heart is attained by faith. Because God reigns in our heart, we live as though we are looking forward to that which is to come. Our reward is not here. Those of you who work, those of you who work hard, it's good to come to the end of the day after your work is done and come home. I want you to know as a believer in the sinful world, this is work day. You're in the midst of a day. <laughs> well, what about the day where, no, no, I'm trying to relate to you that what you're living in is not home. See, we enter into the rest by faith. And if we have faith, then we have this condition of the heart. And He reigns in our heart. We are citizens of the kingdom. Members of the kingdom. And we must recognize there's a time when we will go home. Now's not the time. Jesus said it this way, I must do the works of Him that sent me while it is day. It's daytime. Work time. And you know, in, in work, you don't always like what you got to do. But you do it. You know why you do it? Because I do it for home. People don't quite grasp that, quite under, uh, comprehend that. You don't know what people put up. You know, as a person who's a, who, where my wife is at home, you don't understand what I got to put up with. Why do you put up with that home? I got something I'm looking forward to. And so, you know, I'll be a good worker. Because home is waiting. I don't want to prematurely get off of work and then have home upset at me. Because <laughs> I couldn't keep it contained. You couldn't keep your temper. You couldn't hold your tongue. You can practice temperance. You can forgive somebody. Two conditions of the kingdom of heaven as it relates to time. Condition number two of the kingdom of heaven as it relates to time. Turn to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. 
And here's what you need to know. There is the kingdom to come. There's the kingdom of heaven in our hearts right now, but then there's a kingdom to come. Matthew chapter 8. Ooh, I want to read all this, but... Ooh. You know, some things you just got to read, okay? (laughs) Starting at verse number 5. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord... Hallelujah. He said, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. Do you hear what the centurion is after? He's after the power to heal. Stay with me. He's after the power to heal. He he comes to Jesus because he understands he has the power to heal. Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. Verse 8, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that I should come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority. We're about to understand why Jesus marveled at this man. It's because Matthew has a flow. Matthew understands, Matthew understands who he is, and he wants us to see who he is. And then he gives us further revelation that this centurion sees something that the people of Israel didn't even see. He goes from healing to authority. He relates the power of Jesus to heal to his authority as a king. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth. To another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, He marveled. He marveled. He says, he must have found out who he is. (laughs) I'm sorry, but this is good to me. This is outstanding to me. Because I'm telling you, Matthew has a flow to it. Again, I'll learn the flow of other Gospels, hopefully in time to come. But this flow that I've seen is good. It's a delight. Matthew wants us to see him as king. He brings out this episode where the centurion realizes the revelation that he is king. The throne is his. And let's keep going. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Oh my goodness, did you catch that? There's a day we're going to sit down. With people like Abraham. (laughs) With people like Isaac. People like Jacob. In the kingdom of heaven. See, there's the current age where he reigns in our heart, but there's the kingdom to come. Condition two of the kingdom of heaven, again, this is as it relates to time, there is a future age that serves as our goal and our destination. Oh, this is so outstanding to me. This is, see, this is believer stuff. This is born again stuff. This is not tiptoe through the tulips and not offend anybody kind of stuff. This is where the rubber meets the road with believers. See, it's a goal and a destination. Because I want, I want to let you know right now, your ticket is not punched. You got to keep on keeping on. Let's keep, let's keep moving. So, there's a future age that serves as our goal and our destination. Look at this in Romans chapter 8. This is when our hope will no longer be hope. Romans chapter 8. Sitting at work. Can't wait till I get home. Oh man, at home, you know, there's people that love me. At home, there's comfort there. 
But while I'm at work, I'm hoping. People are watching the clock. Why? Because there's hope. But when they get home, there's no more hope. I'm home. Romans chapter 8, verse 24. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Oh, I like that. I like that. Man, they're getting on my nerves. Wait for it. <laughs> Did you catch that? Oh, man, I want to act outside. Well, wait for it. I want to say what I'm not supposed to say. Wait for it. Oh, this is... I'm, I'm sorry, y'all. I, I, I'm telling you, I like things that some people don't like. This is outstanding to me. You know, these are your notes, right? You know, you don't even understand what goes on. <laughs> you don't even understand what goes on. God is ministering to me. I, I'm just the first one to get it. So the future age sets our conduct now. It sets our conduct now. <laughs> you can't contain, wait for it. <laughs> See, the future age sets our conduct now. I want to get home. One thing have I desired. See, I want to dwell there <laughs> forever. I want to inquire in his temple. I think he has better stuff than we do. Just like I said earlier, you know, he clothes himself with majesty and glory. Just imagine what his kingdom is like. The best decorations. The best smells. You know, aromatherapy. <laughs> Who needs it? He fills the place with his presence. So there's a great interdependency here. If God reigns in your heart, you are a citizen of the kingdom. But you must maintain that in order to enter into the future age. Our God is so good. He is... I just want you to understand this. Wow. I know that Matthew sets him forward as king. But remember, he is also set as the one who is our high priest whoever liveth to make intercession for us. Because on this road, sometimes it gets a little bit difficult. And sometimes we didn't plan it, but we step out of the way. But then he wants us so much at home. He establishes for us an intercessor. Someone who pleads our case and says grace. <laughs> grace. If God reigns in your heart, you are, you are a citizen of the kingdom. But you must maintain that in order to enter into the future age. Look at this in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. And I'm sorry if you went to sleep on this. You are missing out. Galatians chapter 6. Verse number 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if, if, if we faint not. Wait for it. Don't faint. You're not too weary. You're not too tired. And here's what I love about, again, he just set up everything for us. He's the one who says, let the weak proclaim that they're strong. So in the time of my weakness, i got a strong God I can call to who provides the strength that I need. And if I find grace in His sight, because I believe Him in my heart, He will grant me my request. And I'll find strength that I need to carry on. 
I mean, he's setting it up. He, he, he is giving us no room for excuses. So condition two of the kingdom of heaven as it relates to time. We will see. We will know. The rain will not simply be in the heart. The kingdom will be realized. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know, I'm going to a lot of scripture because the kingdom is all over the scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And trust me, I didn't put down all the scriptures I could have put down. Sometimes you get on things and God shows you these things and just scripture after scripture after scripture and you're like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> okay. Wow. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Verse 12. For now, in this current age, we see through a glass darkly. But then, in that future age, face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. Keep that in your heart. Because when we get into the Beatitudes, oh my goodness, that's going to be so special. That's going to be so special. Because I see in part now. But when that future age comes, when I have not fainted, when I waited for it, and I did not faint, then hmm, I will know even as I'm known. So, condition one runs from the time of man's fall to the return of our Lord. Or I should say, the king. <laughs> Condition two is mm, Isaiah chapter nine. I have uh, Isaiah chapter nine. This is the last scripture. Isaiah chapter nine. Isaiah chapter nine. So condition one runs from the fall of man up until the return of our Lord. Or more exactly, the return of our king. But Isaiah chapter 9, you know, here we are, we're still in January, coming off of Christmas. But, oh, once you realize about the future age, then you can see Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 a little bit differently. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. That's the future age. When the king comes... That's when the government is going to be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Let me tell you this. There will be no king like him as king. Even the popular kings had uprisings. But let me tell you this. This king is going to have peace. <laughs> I heard about uh, on the news they were talking about Brushy Creek and, and Huddo and having loud stuff. Trust me, there won't be any complaints from the neighbors. He's going to squash that. There will be peace. No complaints about loud noise. Someone parking in the, I'm sorry, I shouldn't go there, right? Parking in the yard, <laughs> leaving stuff out, weeds growing up. None of that. His government is going to be in order. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. I'm sorry, who owns the throne of David? He does. Who is he? Matthew let us know. He is the son of David, he is the son of Abraham. The throne is his. So it's talking about the king. Let me finish this. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. It's the future age. So we live in the current age, but there's an age coming when the government will be upon his shoulder. And he's going to reign. See, this is what tripped them up in the time when he came to the earth. Do you know even John got tripped up? 
John the Baptist got tripped up by it. Are you here? That's the come on. Should we look for another? In other words, when you taking on the kingdom so I can see it. What did Jesus say? Wait for it. <laughs> Wait for it. Well, you, 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 you see all this being done? You see, you see the bonds seen? You see the lame walking? You see the dead being raised to life? Wait for it. Don't get weary. Don't get tired. There's a future age coming. We need to live now with an eye toward the kingdom to come. Ooh. My last statement. The kingdom of heaven is that which is inherited by those who give their hearts over to God. <laughs> we inherit the kingdom. That's biblical terminology. Trust me, he's still king. But we get to inherit that kingdom that is his. Because we allow him to reign in our hearts now. And I'm out of time. But I am full. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net. Thank you.